supernatural identity. And, and I may kick down some sacred cows this morning a little bit, and I hope you'll have fun with me doing that. And if it's one that you liked, then just watch it crumble um, and, uh, and, and grow from it. Amen. So I'm, I'm really excited about this message uh, because I think in, in what we've been talking about this, I, I may get into a little bit defining the spirit, the soul, and the body. Um, when, we, when we understand scripture, a lot of times because, and we don't realize this because we are Western thinkers, that we're influenced with Greek thought. If historically, if we look before Christ, Alexander the Great, and, and Greek culture, they, they culturized and they conquered the cultures with their way of thinking. And it, and it spread throughout Europe, and now we have been affected by the way that we read Scripture. The Bible was not written uh, from that worldview. And so sometimes what we do is we over-compartmentalize things. And, and we started this service by giving you a little bit of understanding that the spirit realm and the natural realm are not separate. They, they are actually uh, superimposed over one another. See, we think there's some kind of wall between the spiritual and the natural, and that's not the case. And we've even compartmentalized our being, thinking that the spirit is good and the soul is bad. And we come up with words like soulish, which is not in the Bible. And we, we think that soul power is bad. And we think that well, anything that has to do with me is, is bad. And, and, you know, like the spirit, the soul, the body, the soul is the mind, will, and emotions. And how many have ever heard that definition? I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. And, and that came from E.W. Kenyon. And, but the, the definition of the soul that is so widely taught, that it, mind, will, and emotions, actually came from, from Aristotle. It's actually a Greek definition of the soul, not a biblical definition of the soul. And so I would really like to take time and, uh, and, and with, the, with the board and, and define the spirit, soul, and body. But I don't want to just teach you this morning. I may touch on that a little bit. But this morning, I want to talk about our identity. Now, this is so important for us as believers because we don't know who we are. Not only do we not know who we are sometimes as the church, the glorious, victorious bride of Christ. Do we have the very nature of God within us? That we're his body, we're his hands, his feet. We've been given his authority in the earth to make disciples of all the nations that cannot be done in the realm of human possibility. We already have a supernatural identity. But what I want to talk about first is how sometimes we have our identity in what I'm going to call the shadow. And, and what it is, is the Bible says in Hebrews 10.1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And sometimes we don't know who we are because we don't know who God is. See, if you want to ask yourself, who, who are you or who am I? You have to say, well, where do I come from? How many know where we came from? We came from God, right? We have an identity. We came from our parents, but all it, the Bible says that through one man, God's spirit through one man, God populated the whole earth. His name was Adam. Now I want to talk to you this morning about who is God? Who is God? Sometimes I think that we're looking at the shadow of the old covenant and the things that, that were only a shadow of the reality of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. 
And we're looking at the shadow thinking that's God and it's not God. It's an inaccurate image of who God is. And we're trying to walk in the supernatural, but we're still looking at the shadow. And we're still identifying with the shadow. We still got a worldview based upon Job's situation instead of what Jesus came to bring. Job didn't even have a covenant with God, according to the scripture. He wasn't a part of the Abrahamic covenant, yet we use him as, oh, well, I'm just Job going through this hard time. Stop that. You have a covenant with God. We have to learn our identity, and we've got to stop identifying with the shadow. We look in the Old Testament, we run verse, and we build a theology around it, which it was only a shadow of things to come. The reality of who God is is demonstrated in Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Not some sermon on Job where we get our warfare worldview and demons attack us our whole life. Because we don't know who we are. Because we're still struggling with the image of God that we have. We still think that God is some child abuser pouring all of his wrath on his son. That is not in the Bible, church. That'll be one of the sacred cows we're going to knock down. I can't wait to do that one. That's going to be fun. We're going to learn what atonement and redemption really is. Jesus was an offering to God. He offered his own blood. His blood was a sweet-smelling fragrance to the Father. It speaks better than that of the things of Abel. God did not pour his wrath. Our sins crushed Jesus, not the wrath of God. God turned his wrath away because of the sacrifice of who Jesus is. God gave a gift to himself, his own son. And it sealed this new covenant. But, you know, we, we have a, a messed up worldview. We're identifying in the shadow. The Bible says in Colossians 2.17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Say the reality is found in Jesus. We can't confuse the shadow with the real deal. We understand that the scripture is inspired by God, but if we don't take our theology, our knowledge, whether it's good or evil knowledge, our knowledge, and we take it through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Christ, and session that he sat down at the right hand of God, if we don't take it through Calvary, we're going to have some some issues with how we view God, and we're going to have some issues with how we view ourselves. Our whole value system will be distorted. And guess what? We won't be able to win the loss because we're condescending them because we have no idea how valuable the lost is. We still think we're some kind of elite people group and we're called to come under and lift up the hurting and the broken. So we cannot confuse the shadow of things to come with the reality. Don't identify in the shadow. You got to understand who God is. God is not that shadow. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. A shadow is not consistent with reality. Hello? Sometimes they are way scarier than they really are. Than what the, the reality of what is, is, is causing that shadow to be displayed. How many have ever seen one of those movies where you see on the wall this ugly, scary, monster-looking thing and it's like a little kid walking or something? Shadows are not consistent with reality. Some of our views of God, we're still seeing God. We, we even still, when we pray, we still call him God and we're not calling him Father. 
See, we've been adopted. We've got to get used to calling him dad because he's our dad now. We've got to unlearn this religious garbage that will keep us in our old identity, that will keep us in the shadows of our past, that will keep us in the, 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 the lack of who really God is. We live in the shadow of who God was revealing himself to be, but then ultimately through the life of Jesus. Here, here is the, the vividness of who God is. See, a shadow is two-dimensional. It has no color. A shadow is a negative contrast. And in the life of Christ, we see the Father. In the life of Jesus, we see who God really is. Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Because God was with him. He was anointed with the Spirit of God and power. He was anointed with power and the Holy Ghost Acts 10, 38, he went about doing good. Matthew chapter 9 says he was moved with compassion. And he looked at the hurting people and he said, they don't have a shepherd. There was times he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He says, oh, I just want to gather you like a hen, like a mother would gather its young. In Christ, we see who God is. John, First uh, John 1, 5, John is writing, this is the message we've heard from Jesus And now declare to you, hear me, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Listen, there's no darkness in God. He is light. He is love. The reality of who God is is found in Christ. We cannot form our idea of who we think God is from one little verse in the Old Testament. Jesus is the reality of who God is. Colossians chapter 1, the image of the invisible God. In 1 Timothy, it says that God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus walked around. He did good. He loved people. He, he picked up the broken. He saw the woman caught in adultery. They, they were testing him. In John chapter 8, one of my favorite, oh, I love this portion of Scripture. The woman is caught in adultery. Maybe she's completely naked, about ready to be condemned. Jesus says, stop. Unless you have no sin, go ahead, cast the stone. But he who's without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Jesus changed the whole paradigm of what God looked like. Well, here's the Messiah the Pharisees are thinking. He's the the law giver, God in the Old Testament, the God of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jesus says, no, I'm not here to enforce the law. I'm here to fulfill it. And here's the way it gets fulfilled, my love. See, God's government is not law. God's government is love. Isaiah 15 chapter, or Isaiah chapter 15 verse 6 says, He will establish a new government of love in the venerable Davidic tradition. God is, God is revealing to his people right now, I'm not in the shadow. This is who I am. I, Jesus was, it says that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. See, if my revelation of God is in any way contrary to Jesus' life, I'm looking at the shadow. If I still think God is trying to teach me a lesson and put sickness on me, you're looking at the shadow. Hello? If you still think that somehow God is punishing you, you're looking at the shadow. If you still think for some reason that the reason that you're in the situation you are is because God is trying to teach you a lesson. You are just so stubborn. No, you're allowing it on your own life and you'll learn from it. You might go through a trial, but you don't have to. They didn't have to go through the wilderness even in the old covenant. 
They chose to go the wrong route. So you can choose to go the wrong route, but don't blame God. Jesus is the sign. He is the way. Just go his way and you'll get there real easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. If my revelation of who God is, is contrary to the life of Jesus, I'm looking at the shadow. Don't identify with the shadow. Colossians 2.17. Again, the reality is found in Christ. Everything else in the Old Testament, the laws, it was a shadow of things to come. We cannot live in the shadow. Jesus said this in John 14.7. If you hadn't really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Wow. I love that. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus came to reveal this massive Loving heart of the Father in heaven. Changed our paradigm. We need a paradigm shift, and we got to make sure that our paradigm is not too narrow. We have to make sure that we open up and say, God, there's so much I'm still learning and discovering of your nature and who you are. You know, I fear that the church today has taken the five attributes of God and replaced their understanding of who God is with these attributes, the sterile attributes of who God is. He's impassable. He's, he's immutable. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent and he's omnipotent. All these Greek ideas of who God is instead of he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Instead of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider, he's my shepherd. He's Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. He's my banner. He's my victory. He's the God that's more than enough. That's who God is. You see, you're a way better theologian if you just understand that God is Abba Father versus all that other crap. I just spit on the microphone. Praise the Lord. It's anointed now. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, old covenant is doing from the do. New covenant is doing from the be. I'm going to say it again so you actually understand what I'm saying. Old covenant is doing, new covenant is being. In other words, I'm not doing from the doing, I'm doing from the being. It's who I am. God put his nature in me. It's who I am. I understand who God is and I can't know who I am unless I know who God is. So I've got, I I can't identify in the shadow. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, our theological knowledge is the shadow. Our theological experience is the reality. Hello? Oh, that's a good word, PZ. Thanks. You're welcome. It's from him. Take it. If you, if you only have knowledge, then maybe you're looking at the shadow. Maybe you're still beating yourself up from your sin. Maybe you still haven't forgiven yourself because you still think God is mad at you. Hello? Jesus. It's a revelation of who the Father is. Number two, we have to identify by the Spirit. Now, I want to teach you a little bit. Are you ready? Who's ready to be taught? I want to give you, I want to give you some, some good nuggets. I want to give you some treasure from the word of God. I want you, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter two. We have to, we get our identity by the breath of heaven. The breath of God is where we get our identity. Now let's look at, there's two types of identity that the human race can have. Only two. Now in those two categories, there's multiple 
ways that we identify with the cultures and with, you know, with our families and all this stuff. But there's really only two identities. You either identify yourself through Adam or you identify yourself through Jesus. Amen. Read later, read Romans chapter 5. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Look at your, the person next to you say, you are a dirt ball. Come on, just please will you do it? It's, it's fun, just try it. Look at him again and say, you're a dirt ball. Without the breath of God. <laughs> you add that, add that, okay. It says, God took from the dust of the ground... And he breathed from the clay. It says he breathed the breath of life, the ruah, his very essence, his nature, his spirit. And here's what happened. It said, what does your translation say? Mine says he became a living soul. What is the soul? A living being. Some, some uh, translations is soul, some being. In other places in the Old Testament, it's the same word for soul. Now, the soul is not the mind, will, and emotions. The soul is the persona of who you are. The soul is the expression. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. How many know that verse? The word life is actually soul. Some versions translate it accurate. The soul of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, God breathed into me. He gave me his spirit. The spirit is the very spark of life. It's the reason that you have life. Every living thing has some type of spirit in them. God, the Bible says in in Job that if he were to inhale, then all living flesh would just collapse. So God gave Adam a spirit. He breathed into him his spirit. That's the DNA of life, the spark of life. And he became a living soul. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The soul of the flesh is in the blood. So the soul is not just your mind, will, and emotions. It says the soul of the flesh is in the blood. So wherever, uh, wherever blood is, my soul is. If there's blood in my, in my thumb, my soul's in my thumb. I got soul. Glory to God. <laughs> So now y'all can just get rid of that CRD and you can start dancing. You have soul all throughout your body. Wherever your blood is, your soul is. Your soul is who you are. If I were to give you maybe just a little glimpse of what it would look like, imagine electricity. Electricity is the, the, the power of life that God gives us. That is the spark of life or the energy. And if there's a wire traveling through and then a light bulb, the, the light bulb is, is our very physical body, the actual glass and the components. The, and the light itself is your soul. You cannot separate your spirit, your soul, and your body. You are one being. This is important because if we think the soul is the mind, will, and emotions, then, then we get confused about things. We, we, we start getting dualistic or we start adopting these doctrines like uh, the perfect spirit doctrine, which is not biblical. Your spirit is not 100% regenerated. The Bible says that, that he, you're born again by a seed and Jesus dwells in your heart. He gives you a new nature. But that doesn't mean that your spirit, oh, it's getting real quiet in here. Here's, here's a nice golden calf right up here. I'm about ready to knock down. The Bible says that you need to cleanse yourself from the defilement of the flesh and the spirit. If the spirit was perfect, it couldn't be defiled. The Bible says that we should be one in spirit. If your spirit's perfect, you would always be one in spirit. Hello? If your spirit was perfect, then then the Bible wouldn't say... The Bible says that your spirit has emotions. Your spirit has a will. Not just your soul. And your body has a will too. There's an inner will and an outer will. 
So if you think about the spirit, soul, and body, let me just touch on this for a minute. You have to see it as one. And the heart is the center of your being. And that's where God dwells. Now we're going to look at what happens to a believer. It says God gave Adam, God gave Adam, it was, he was a living person. He became a living being, a living soul. His persona came from the breath of God. Remember that. His persona came from the breath of God. That's where he got his identity from the breath of God. But he lost it. His spirit began to decay. I don't believe it died right away because that's not what it says in the Hebrew. His spirit began to, if his spirit died, then he would have died. Reading other portions of scripture just doesn't compute to say his spirit died. The Bible doesn't say his spirit died. It says that he would, in dying, you will die. So Adam, his identity was in the breath of God. From Adam, Acts 17, 24 through 26, from Adam, God made all of humanity. There was so much power in the word of God when he made Adam that his spirit and DNA would actually be, in, be strong enough to multiply and everyone in this room, everybody in this room, whether you're regenerated or not, you originally came from that same breath of God that he breathed into Adam. Oh, that's so amazing. I mean, that's that God stuff he put in you, even when you weren't saved. Now that's, that's important because we're believers and we're trying to work, walk in the supernatural and we don't even know how. We don't even realize we had God stuff before we got saved called spirit, like life. It might not, we're not alive to God yet and we're, we're, we could be on our way to hell, but we still got some supernatural stuff in us from the get, made in his image. But we're looking in the, in the wrong mirror. We're looking in this mirror of our own shadow of who we were instead of identifying in the breath of heaven. So let, let me keep going here. Acts 17, 24 through 26. See, just like the plants, God said, let there be vegetation. That, that was enough, the power of God's word, that was enough to cause the whole world to multiply with plants. And, uh, you know, you look at, look at the way the universe was created. When God said, let there be light, the universe is still expanding. Why? Because God said it when he said it. God said, let there be light. Boom. And there's still expansion of light and life in the universe because the power of his word. So even if your identity is in Adam, you still have God stuff in you. It's called your spirit. It's the reason you have life. It's the reason you can breathe. But now what happens when we get born again? Romans 8, 10, where our spirits are now alive unto God. Now we have a communication with God. Now I want to talk about what that is. This is going to be the key to you, to flowing in the supernatural, living in the supernatural, walking in power and victory. What does that mean? Alive unto God. What happened when my spirit, when I was born again, first Peter one twenty three, born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. The word seed is the word sperma in the Greek. So no longer do you have the same DNA you had that you got from your mommy and your daddy. You have a different daddy. Come on, somebody. We got the same daddy. Who's your daddy? Jesus, the father, right? So we have a different seed in us, a different nature in us. That's what happened when we were born again. But what is the dynamic of understanding that if I identify in the spirit, I'm not identifying just in the fact that God breathed into Adam and I have a, I, I'm alive, but I'm identifying who I am as identified in the fact that God made me alive unto his spirit. Now, the only exception in scripture that we can see where God breathed into Adam and then the whole earth was multiplied. The only exception of that, the spirit, right at conception, bam, life. It's amazing. Watch a child be born. It will change your life forever. 
Absolutely incredible. I've had four children, cried at all of them, just, and my first was like, I was, <laughs> it was the most spiritual experience, and it was very carnal, too, at the same time. That, that's a really good thing for us that think the spirit and the natural realm are actually, like, separated. No, they definitely transpose, because I was, like, becoming a man. I'm having a kid. There's people in the room. My wife is, has no clothes on. I'm, I'm oh, God, what's going on? Oh, my baby. God just breathed life. I mean, it was incredible. Now, here's what's really important for us to get, though, is that what, what happened when, now, when Jesus, Jesus is the only exception. His spiritual breath, that spark of life, came from the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1. It's called the Immaculate Conception. That's why Jesus didn't need to be born again. He was born again at conception, which means he was born from above. That's what being born again is. So when you're saved, you're born from above. What does that mean? You understand you're a son. You're not a son of Adam. You're a son of God. Adam was a son of God, and he lost it, right? Changed his image. Affected the, the power of sin. Affected the whole, the whole earth, including creation. I heard a, a great quote this week that we, don't, we shouldn't call it mother nature. We should call it sister nature because she fell with us. I like that. Sister nature. <laughs> so Jesus was the only exception. So the, the, the immaculate conception was the only exception to that, that DNA, that God stuff. Jesus didn't need to be born again because he was born from above. Amen. We all get that, right? Now, what happened when he was born from above? Luke chapter 3, is, it says when he was baptized, when he was baptized by John, he said, I got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He heard a voice from heaven. Now, this voice was just affirming and confirming the fact that he had the very breath of God back in him. He had the very breath of God in him. Not like Adam, but you know, after the fall, but he was perfect in nature. And the voice said, you're my son, and in you I'm well pleased. Now, let, let me get this to you. Ready? Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 16. Here is how you identify in the spirit. This is it. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. So you've got to understand your spirit and God's spirit are not the same entity. Now, the Bible says if you join yourself to the Lord, you're one spirit within him. See, the people that decide to join their hearts to the Lord's, when they manifest who they are, God comes out. It's like a holy pixie stick. It's like the flavor of who they are. The life of God flows through them. If you join yourself to the Lord... You're one spirit with him. But here's what, listen, you have to understand this. This is so good. His spirit tells my spirit, you're my son. You're my daughter. That's your identity. Now listen, oh, I've heard that, Pastor Zach. Listen, listen, listen to me. Your part is daddy, daddy. That is the foundation of Christianity. And every time God speaks to you, if it opposes that, it's not God. If it in any way contradicts with, you're my son, you're my daughter, you have so much value. Daddy, I love you. Father, I have access to you now. If it ever opposes that, that is the core 
of God's voice to his children. It's not any of that other stuff. That is what causes us to mature. That is what causes us to that seed, that incorruptible seed of the word of God, the DNA of God. Jesus came and he's dwelling in our hearts. He's dwelling in our hearts, spirit, soul, and body. He's dwelling within me. And he begins to grow his nature within me. It's called sanctification. And the, the way he does, the way I identify with the spirit is I'm no longer under the, I'm no longer under the old identity of Adam. Now I'm under the identity of the breath of the spirit of God through Jesus, identifying with him. I have a new nature. The Bible says, many of you know this verse, second Peter one, three, it says, as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. How do we partake through knowing him? Paul told the church at Corinth, if you join yourself to the Lord, you're one spirit with him. In one aspect, we are one with Christ. In another, our spirits become one with him. When we understand that he's saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. And we say, you're my father and I love you. That is the fundamental of understanding your identity. I'm a son. Jesus did not come to change your behavior. He came to give life to those who are dead. We think that God, for some reason, well, he's just trying to take some old lump of clay. No, no, he started fresh, man. He started fresh. He's just chiseling the stuff away. He put a seed within us, a nature within us. He's just taking out all the other stuff that's not of him. Now we're just uh, like a, a statue by the greatest artist ever, the most creative creator. And he's just making us look like Jesus. He's taking the trash out. And he's saying, no, that's your old identity. Your identity, the core of who you are, is a son and a daughter of God. Amen. John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus did not came. He did not come to change your behavior. He didn't come to make you a better person. He came to kill you. And then right after that, give you life. It's great, man. Just, all right, come here. Die. Now, all right, come back alive. Identify with Christ. See, Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. Paul didn't say, I die daily in that context. When he said, I die daily, this is going to be good, another sacred cow. He wasn't saying, I just got to crucify my flesh. No, you already died with Christ. God wants to, he wants you to live, not die. Paul was saying, I die daily. I'm persecuted daily. And, and by the way, the thorn in the flesh, you know what the thorn was? It was people. No, I'm serious. Read it. I'm, read, read Corinthians thoroughly. It was the church of Corinth that was a thorn in his flesh. Right after that, he said, I will be spent for the sake of your souls and I will love you even though you don't love me. I'm quoting Paul. The thorn was not some sickness. Oh Lord, that's another golden calf. Kick it down. We don't see that in the life of Jesus. That's a shadow. So identify in the spirit. I'm a son. I'm a son. And when God speaks to me, if there's some revelation or some prophetic word, if there's anything that opposes that reality, that you're a son and a daughter, it's not God. Makes it real easy to hear the voice of God. He's saying, you're my son all the time. I love you. You have so much value. You can't even estimate the value you have. 
You know, back in the 90s, I'm going to close with this. Uh, there was a little popular stuffed animal, little toy called Beanie Baby. How many have ever heard of the Beanie Babies? Who has one? Oh, how much do you pay for it? Rip off. Oh, sorry. So you, you get them for about 10 bucks in the store, whatever, five, 10 bucks. And then people were selling them on eBay for like a hundred bucks later, you know, or right, right away you could flip them. And some were sold for like thousands of dollars. I mean, literally there was one that was sold. It was estimated about $5,000, a little. Now, now if you ask the person that bought it, oh yeah, it's worth $5,000. Obviously they paid the price for it. If you ask somebody that made it, like, well, let's say you ask, uh, you know, uh, the, if you just look at the actual raw material, it's worth about 25 cents. About 25 cents. So depending on who you ask will determine what you think something is worth. If you ask a biologist, what is the human body worth? Well, he'd say, if you just take the bare, what a human body is, cook it down to some water and carbon, everyone in this room is worth about $1.39. Put that price tag. <laughs> some a dollar forty-seven, some dollar twenty. You know, depending on our size. And so, praise the Lord. You can get creative and go ahead and, and just put a price tag on the person next to you right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you ask the culture what you're worth, it would you know the answer would be like, well, what kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes? Let me see them shoes. What you got? Everyone, if you look at Shane's shoes, <laughs> he's valuable, according to the culture. <laughs> Someone joked around and said, yeah, Shane's shoes always have insurance on them. They're so nice. You got insurance on those things? If you ask, again, a biologist, you know, we're worth like, you know, water, carbon, our basic, what we are, just melt us down to our elements and we're not worth much. But if you ask the one who paid the ultimate price... There's no estimation of what you're worth. That's where your identity must come from. You're my father. You're my father. He's saying, here's what he's saying to you. Listen, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're my child. You have so much value. Don't ever think anything different. I can hear him saying it. I can hear him. He he wants me to tell you that. He says, you're my child. Your identity is not through Adam. It's through Christ. Some of you are thinking, you don't know what I did. No, you don't know what Jesus did. He dealt with sin once and for all. The only reason we still deal with it is because we're not identifying with the spirit. We're identifying with the shadow. You want to see something really cute? I want you to put that video on. Watch this. This is this is how we are in the spirit. We're afraid of our own shadow. Come here. A cliche that actually comes to life. She's afraid of her own shadow. What's wrong? 
Rainy, what's wrong? Jump! 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 Oh my, please don't tell me I'm cruel. We have received a spirit of adoption, not fear. I'm not afraid of what I was because that's not who I am anymore. And I'm not tied to any of that stuff. I'm a son. I can smile because I know he's smiling at me. You know, that even in, in the natural understanding of uh, scientists have discovered that a baby's countenance is determined by how they see the countenance of their parents at a very early age. So if you're not smiling, you just need to see daddy smiling over you. Here's what he's saying. Don't be afraid of your past. Don't be afraid of who you were. Don't identify with the shadow of who you thought God was. Look at Jesus. That's the reality, the vivid color of his love and who he is. And don't identify with who you were. Walk in your new identity. It makes things so easy. Amen. Amen. Let me bless you right now. There's some hurting hearts here. I can hear your heart beating. Would you just close your eyes with me? You don't have to bow your heads, but just close your eyes. I can hear some hearts saying, but you don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I've, I've walked away from the Lord and, and I blew it. And I want you to understand right now. I want, you to under, I want you to understand Jesus is so in love with you. He's ravished over you. He took all of that stuff on so you can be free from it. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Paul says, thanks be to God. It's by his spirit. I identify with the breath of God in me now. The spirit tells my spirit, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. Changes my paradigm, changes the foundation of how I live my life. I'll never live from my old identity anymore. If you're in this place and you just want to surrender to Jesus, sur- listen, surrender Listen, it's not an act. It's the ceasing of an act. Just just give up. Bowing to Jesus is not bowing to rules and regulations. It's letting his power flow through you. It's as simple as saying, I give up. And then he breathes into you. Read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Paul was trying to get this through to the Roman church. Said, this is this is how you do it, guys. You got to understand, it, it's not through Adam. That's how sin reigned. But now Jesus came to give you abundant grace and the gift of righteousness, the gift of being right with God. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's free. Just receive it. It's a gift. It's free. You don't pay a price for it. You just believe and receive. <laughs> so let Him breathe life into you. And may from this day forward, you never identify with who you were or identify with the shadow of who you thought God was, but identify 
with his love for you. Identify with his spirit. Identify with how valuable you are to him. So, Lord, we thank you that you promised, Lord, that you would take our sin and you would just get rid of it. And you never remembered again. And then you said you'd give us a new heart and you'd put a new spirit within us and you'd cause us to walk in your ways. So I'm not trying to kill myself or crucify myself anymore. I died with Christ. Now I need to live. I just need to live. You make me alive. You make me alive. You make me alive. Why are so many people teaching that, that you know, the spirit wants to just kill your flesh? No, the spirit wants to make you alive. He even changes my flesh. He changes, I'm telling you, he changes my desires. My body craves the presence of God. David said, my flesh cries out for the living God. Oh, we thank you, God. If you're in this place and you just want, I, I want to I pray for you. I want to put my hand on your shoulder. I want to release the love of the Father. If you say, you know what? I've walked away. I'm a prodigal. Hear me. God's arms are open. He wants to just embrace you right now. Just simply raise up one hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to hear him. I want to hear him say, you're my child. There's some hands going up. Just don't be afraid. Just raise your hand up. Yeah. Can we have our Sozo team find someone with their hand raised quickly? Pastoral staff, put your hand on the release the presence of God. Release the love of God over them right now. It's a new day for you. There's some hands over here. That's it. Just from him. Just release the love of God. New beginning for you. Check my brother right here with his hand up too. Yeah, we just release the love of the Father over you right now. <laughs> Some of you say, well, my dad didn't want me. Well, this daddy does. Well, my mama wasn't there. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit will never leave you nor forsake you. You're so good, Lord. You're so good. That's why even in the Old Testament, the shadow of things to come, the, the temple was being dedicated and God filled it with his glory. The prayer of Moses, show me your glory. And all they could say, they couldn't stand under it. All they could say is, you're good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good. So I speak the goodness of God over every son, every daughter. Would you hear the father saying, you are my child. And all you have to do in response is say, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, dear father, dear father. I receive your love in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're being prayed for, just stay right where you are. Take your time. We're going to start our in-between service prayer in just a couple moments. Um, But we want to dismiss those that would like to be dismissed. God bless you. We love you.